A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Now you're welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown. Let's get straight into it. Celtic beat Motherwell 2-1 in Fir Park as they remain seven points clear at the top of the table with one game left until the World Cup break. And Alan Morrison and James Jico James are on the line with me as we look back at this game. And I'm just going to get straight into it. I'm going to come out and say what I really think about this game. Uh, James, this was, to put it mildly, not a classic. Yeah, and I, uh, I, I mentioned to you right before we went live here, I, I, uh, I listened to you guys from Tuesday and I thought, Enda, your comments about um, this feeling a lot like a mid to late December stretch in the league um, in prior seasons it was was spot on. So I, I think we're just kind of slogging through uh, after a long stretch of twice a week playing. Um, you know, if you look at the ultimate, the underlying, you know, performance metrics were fine. I mean, for within the context of that kind of slog and where we're at, it, it was perfectly acceptable uh, mm-hmm. in, in my view. Um, and given the amount of rotation that we've d- been doing, uh, the, the amount that that may have helped address some of the injury problems that we've had in the past, you know, we, we've, we've gotten through this stretch without, uh, you know, a, a lot of soft tissue injuries, which I think is a, a good sign. Um, uh, so yeah, not, not the most, uh, exciting watching give Motherwell some credit. I mean, they, you know, they, they really played their asses off, I thought. Um, and that was a, you know, terrific finish from tyranny. Um, so, yeah, as, as far as a kind of an overmatched opponent, I thought Motherwell, um, you know, pl- played quite well. Mm-hmm. It doesn't help that most people would have been watching this on a horrendous stream somewhere in the stratosphere <laughs> of the internet because Sky Sports don't do their job in showing the Sky's League. But, Alan, again, there were loads of changes as expected to the, the team last night. I guess the main one that you're looking at is a centre-back with Carl Starfelt and Cameron Carter-Vickers. Uh, coming in the partnership that we came accustomed to and then disappeared off the face of the earth for the last number of months. So I guess that's happy hunting for Celtic that they have these two men back and ready for first-team football again. Yeah, that was probably the interesting thing um, in terms of selection problems because I think a lot of the forwards are being kind of rotated. Um, six changes, as again, you know, we're averaging 4.4 changes to line up per game, which is just... Ridiculous. I mean, normally, even even when in, when Rogers was tinkering about a bit, he never got up beyond more than about two point eight changes per lineup. So four point four is pretty significant. Um, now, you know, 
if we be, if we win six one at home, having made five changes, we don't mention it, and then if we get a scrappy game, we mention it. So there's a bit of outcome bias there in terms of the number of changes. I think Celtic's system is so strong, and the number of players that can play roles in it are becoming so coherent. We shouldn't really blame the number of changes on the uh, on the on the not the quality of the performance, but perhaps the intensity of the performance. Um, I, I do think the, the the I think you're absolutely spot on. I agree with James what you said. It, if you remember in December, the way that the schedules are run these days is that we normally play about nine games in December and a League Cup tie usually as well, and maybe a final. So, and if you recall, there's been many a year when those games have been, you know, two one wins, one nil wins, a home to Partick Thistle. One nil away at Dundee, two one at home to Motherwell type of type of games. You know, there's a lot of those kind of games, and this was very much one of these. You know, you'll never remember this game if Celtic win the league, but but by goodness, if we hadn't won last night, you know, I think a lot of momentum would have would have slipped in terms of that seven point, well, effectively eight point lead that Celtic have got. So very important win, and, and actually done with. A huge degree of comfort, really. Uh, there was very little jeopardy in the game, and I think that was because Celtic, having scored an early goal, managed the game quite well. And I think we saw a little bit of pragmatism yesterday. I think we managed the game um, in terms of we weren't really sort of foot to the metal. They weren't doing a lot, and we were happy for them to keep them at arm's distance, um, and, 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 and we were comfortable in ourselves on that. And also. They pressed and pressed and pressed. I mean, I think 160, nearly 160 pressures they put on the ball, which is an awful lot. I think Celtics was down around, James will know the number off the top of his head, but it was around 60 or 70 maybe. Not very many anyway. So so they, they worked really, really hard off the ball. Um, and, that, and I think you have to give them credit in terms of the way that the game panned out. I think we were comfortable with a one-goal lead and keeping them at arm's length. So it didn't make for a great spectacle. And it is amidst, you know, what is an incredible workload uh, as well. So not making excuses, you know, then also you can't play brilliantly every game, I guess, Yeah. as well. Yeah, that's that's true. And I, I would also add to this idea of what stage of the, the season we're actually at um, in terms of the slogfest. I would add that there is never really a year except for a World Cup year where some players may be looking at a game, let's say, for example, against Ross County this weekend and thinking, if I pull my hamstring, I'm going to miss the World Cup. And that's what Cameron Carter-Vickers, who was called up to the United States squad, is going to be thinking. Aaron Moy is probably, this is going to be his last World Cup, more than likely, for Australia. And there are players who are looking to play at their first World Cup as well. And this is the sort of weirdness of this season that this presents this hassle for managers, international managers and club managers and for the players as well. There's no doubt in my mind that Cameron Carter-Vickers, who worked so hard to get into the United States squad, is going to want to stay fit for the next week until they can get over this hump and, and get into the into the World Cup with their, their country. So that definitely plays a role, I think, in, in some of the things that goes on, especially if you look at the tackle that went in. Was it on Card Starfelt? The VAR didn't merit as a red card. You know, that's that's a World Cup ender, potentially, if that goes the wrong way. So 
Uh, look, we're not going to talk about VAR tonight. I've made myself a promise. There were th- there were three decisions that we could <laughs> potentially part of the into. game. <laughs> but every every part every podcast is just going to turn into the the VAR cast now over the next couple of months if we continue to go down that road. So we'll we'll park VAR unless it's absolutely necessary to talk about it. And um, one thing I do want to talk about is Matt O'Reilly and his role within the side because we were just ch- talking off air there, and it's something that I referenced in the previous preview of the game as well is that James McCarthy and Cal McGregor are currently Celtics only injuries which is actually quite astounding given them out of games that Celtic are playing and it's partly down to the rotation but Cal McGregor when he got injured in the Shakhtar game in the Champions League it was revealed that he's going to be out until after the World Cup and everyone was like that's give or take six or seven weeks and it seemed like that was the longest time possible that he was going to be out but James Allen, uh, Matt O'Reilly has filled in as the number six. And uh, except for the Champions League games, it hasn't really been um, or made much of a difference to the midfield. I know overall to the structure of the team, it definitely has. But you wouldn't really have noticed that Celtic were missing their talisman in the midfield if you look at just purely domestic form. Yeah, it's. Um, I think it also speaks to... I think we mentioned this a little while ago when um, when O'Reilly really uh, took over this role and his basically keeping Abligar out of the out of the side for the most part and and I think it's probably been surprising to a lot of people, including myself, that um, Abligar hasn't gotten more minutes. Um, you know, given kind of the the, the uh, pedigree he had and and um, uh, so I, I think it speaks to what particularly domestically, um, what the manager wants in that position and how much he values the ability to, um, you know, do ball progression and maintain possession and, uh, you know, move uh, an attack in attacking transitions. And I think that's the one thing that has stood out in his limited minutes. And again, it's way early and We'll see, but uh, that that seems to be an aspect of play that Abogard has not been shining through when he has played. <laughs> um, so O'Reilly really offers that dynamism domestically, and again, that role does not have all that much to do defensively um, on a volume basis. Uh, you know, particularly in the defensive half, uh, the defensive third. Uh, uh, so, you know, I, I think the bigger question becomes. Uh, you know, how much Aaron Moy has been able to replace O'Reilly's production in that attacking eight position. And I think that's where we're probably having a bit of a downgrade, meaning that, you know, McGregor O'Reilly is probably a tier higher um, than O'Reilly Moy um, has been. So, yeah, I, I think he's been fine. I think, you know, um, at the European level is a completely different question, but uh, yeah, domestically, I he's he's been more than sufficient, I think, to to fill in for for McGregor. Mm-hmm. And we'll uh, focus on the first goal, for example, that Celtic scored last night, the Kyogo goal, where Matt O'Reilly is up in a more progressive position, tries to take on a man, fails to take on the man, but wins the ball back in the box, and then plays the ball through. To Kyogo then for a tap in Allen. Like that for me is where you're getting the best out of Matt O'Reilly when he's in and around the box and not as a number six. But I guess it's needs must at this point in time. I don't think Matt O'Reilly is going to be competing for the number six position when Cal McGregor is back fit. 
But in terms of the cost benefit of him, let's say, put it that way, of him playing as a six to playing as an eight, I mean, is it worth it with him in comparison to playing the likes of Moy as a six and playing Matt O'Reilly as the eight? Are you losing? Uh, are you are you gaining more by playing him as a six than you are w- w- than you would be losing by playing him as the eight? So, uh, yeah, I, and and I, I won't pretend I've done an in depth database analysis of this, but just in terms of opinion, um, it kind of makes sense to me to replace McGregor with your most intelligent player, um, uh, and also one who makes a surprising number of interceptions and, and forces turnovers in that position. So, so he's reading of the game, his positioning, which are you know fundamental attributes of a number six, um, are, are very good. And then you've also got the ball progression. Uh, what what he can't replicate um, is is just the sheer speed at which McGregor transitions the ball and 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 recycles the ball. Sorry, and uh, and gets the ball moving. That's that's the one thing that that O'Reilly cannot do that McGregor does. And it's a little bit like um, I think it's a fascinating comparison to compare Juranovic with with Rolson. Sorry, I'm not I'm not going off on too much of a tangent uh, because I think it's the same. It's the same reason. The same reason why you put McGregor in as a six um, over O'Reilly is the same reason why you'd have Juranovic over Ralston. Ralston's actually better on many, many levels than Juranovic. He's, he's, he's a better crosser of the ball. He's more creative. He's a better header of the ball. He's better in the tackle. He's positionally a little bit more disciplined. Um, but Juranovic does, does things quicker. And, and there's no substitute for speed and pace in, in in this level of football. And with McGregor, it's the same. He just he just as I say, he just recycles the ball quicker than anyone else. That's his main skill. Because actually, um, I was just checking there that you know obviously O'Reilly's creativity in terms of productivity, let's call it, so expected goals, expected assists has gone down markedly since he moved to a six. He was averaging 0.7 a game uh, as an eight, and it's then gone down to 0.2 a game. But having said that, if you watch him against Dundee United, and it was only really when I watched the game back that I realised he what what he did in that game was he took. He used to talk about the old cliche about taking the game by the scruff of the neck. That's what Matt O'Reilly did in the second half of that match. He basically dominated that football match, and he drove in, individually drove Celtic forward, and he was involved fundamentally in all four goals. He won the tackle in midfield. Passed it to Tati, Tati to Jota, Jota crossed for Haxabanich. That was a goal on transition that was forced by a turnover by O'Reilly in, in centre midfield. He, he then he then obviously uh, set up one goal and had the secondary assist for, for for the other two. So he was directly involved in all, all four goals. But it was just the fact that he, you know, I think he completed over 50-odd passes in that second half against them. The United barely gave the ball away and was able to influence the game. Uh, all over the pitch, and we saw last night winning the ball high up in the opponent's third. So there's, there's the, so there's the potential there. These are all things that McGregor doesn't do anymore, or hardly ever does anymore, um, which O'Reilly can do as a six. Now remember, in terms of context, that when when McGregor was the was this age was O'Reilly's age, he was on loan at Notts County, okay, and then when he came back, he was played as a winger, and he and he kind of footed in and out the team for a few seasons. And it was only, you know, probably I can't remember, maybe five years ago or so, that he was settled into a into a sort of um, central midfield. So, so O'Reilly's probably played this role before to some extent, but certainly not at this level, and certainly not in the Champions League. <laughs> you know, it's a bit different uh, 
on a on a wet Tuesday away at Stockport County than it is, you know, in Leipzig, etc. So, so he's I think he's done pretty well. Um, I, it, it does merit a proper comparison, uh, light for light, because I think it's been nine games now that O'Reilly's played as a six. So that's that path that, that he's almost past the magic nine hundred minutes because he's played nearly every minute, by the way, as well in those games. So. I think that it does merit a proper comparison. I'll add that on my list of things to do. But so on the plus side, there's things like we saw against Sunday United that, that he can influence the attack still in a way that McGregor just can't do. But as I say, you'll never get, you never, what he needs to learn is just that speed of movement uh, to keep that ball moving. And that's that one little magic thing that McGregor does that no one else can do as well. Yeah, I do wonder how much of that is down to perception as well because of the way that Matt O'Reilly runs in comparison to Cal McGregor. Because if you look at the way that Cal McGregor runs, he's he's got that hunchy run, you know, the he's sort of deep down lowering his uh, central gravity as much as he can and moving really quickly with his arms. Whereas Matt O'Reilly's big and lanky and small and kind of you know he's awkward in his movements in a way. So I, I wonder how much is down to perception and down to the fact that he is a player that always looks as if he has a little bit more time than everyone else when he gets the ball. So um, we, we will do that uh, some some other time, maybe during the World Cup break I, when we have an opportunity. Let me throw in one f- stat. So again, this comes back to system. So I just ran a, a radar um, compare. And this is only league games. So it's, you know, 5.6, 90 minutes for, for O'Reilly. So Alan saying nine games includes the Champions League. Yeah. Uh, games. McGregor's got 8.4 before he got injured of, of league games. So open play passes, McGregor averaged 62.95, uh, O'Reilly 62.73. So this is, as Alan and I have been talking about over the last, you know, year plus now, system, 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 right? Having uh, a, a disciplined, coherent, uh, way of playing under a smart manager uh, allows you to plug guys in. And that's, uh, you know, O'Reilly being able to do those 62.73 passes at a competent level. Whereas, uh, at, um, you know, again, somebody else in that role, like I think a lot of people thought it would be Moy, right? So I think a lot of people just assumed if if we were going to, if Moy was going to be a starter in in McGregor's absence, that he would be the deep lying midfielder, and and O'Reilly would stay as the attacking eight. Um, so you know, it's the ability to get the same kind of characteristics within the system uh, out of the position. Uh, it's kind of and, and Angela said this. You know, guys are a little different; they all have their own little nuances, but generally, they're doing similar jobs uh, in their own way. And I think this that comparison is 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 a really good one. Um, an, an example of that. Yeah. The one downside to that, I will say, is that, you know, you do need to sort of maybe, and maybe it's where we need to advance the system a little bit, is that when we got to the Champions League level, teams were swarming Matt O'Reilly because they knew that that was the outball. So we might need to change that up a little bit or develop it a little bit more so that our number six is not the only guy that is the main uh folk uh, of the attack like you know he's the main guy that the defense goes to in order to to start the counter-attack so and um, we'll we'll see how that develops I, over the next sorry Alan, sorry sorry and uh, i would just respectfully disagree with that uh what one feature i felt of the champions league games was that they they let matt o'reilly play 
whereas in league games, they do target him. Um, none of our opponents in the Champions League felt any of our players were that good that they had to sort of man-mark them particularly. That's just the honest truth, right? And if you actually look at it, he, he the, the most, apart from the Dundee United game, where, as I say, he individually took the game by the scruff of the neck, if you look at all of the um, games that he's played in the sixth position, the most passes he's completed was 61 away at, away at Real Madrid, and then the next one is 57 at home to Shakhtar, whereas in, uh, whereas in league games, it's been 38, 40, 41. So actually, he's been put under... How many of them were backward, though? Well, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I haven't got that. I mean, in terms so of... That, that would be the key forward. metric for me, is how, how many of his passes went backward rather than going forward in comparison to the league game. No, fair, fair, fair enough. Okay, so his two highest number of pack passes outside of Dundee United, where, where it was 24, right? The next two highest number of pack passes... In, 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 in the time that he's played a six, was 11 at home to Leipzig, and then third is nine away in Madrid. So actually, he was able to play more, higher volume of, of, of passes and a higher volume of forward passes in the Champions League because in Scotland, they do know, they do know teams do know to, to crowd our pivot player, essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to... Kyogo, because, and I'm not avoiding the argument on Matt O'Reilly, don't worry about that. We'll uh, come back to Matt O'Reilly and Cal McGregor uh, during the World Cup, and we'll do a couple of maybe player-specific things uh, when we have a couple of weeks off uh, games. I want to talk about Kyogo, because last night he got a goal, and that takes his tally up to 10 league goals now in the Scottish Premier League, one behind Kolak in the top scorer charts. And again, it kind of comes down to the perception thing that we're talking about here, and where we were last year in comparison to where we are this year. Celtic are in a much better position than they were this time last year. League form-wise, uh, you know, table-wise, points-wise, wins-wise. And uh, Kyogo is still up there with the top goal scorers in the league. But I think the perception of Kyogo, he was sort of a demigod last year, at this, this time last year for Celtic, especially with the League Cup final goals. Um, but this year, it seems like he might have fallen off form a little bit or maybe isn't in... or on the same pedestal as he was last year. But Jim, see, this, this is a guy who's still a very, very um, important player to Celtic and probably still Celtic's best player who, you know, maybe he's just not hitting the same heights as we expected this year. Yeah, I think, um, you know, with strikers, particularly with the way that we play, <clears throat> excuse me, as Alan has is adeptly uh, documented right. over and over, uh, under Ange's reign is they just don't touch the ball that much. Um, they're not involved in, in um, you know, build up and they're not dropping deep like, uh, you know, Edward used to or even Dembele used to. So uh, they're more of a focal point, stay relatively high, and then they're there to finish. And, um, you know, when finishing isn't coming off and we know that's variable and, you know, can run hot and cold for stretches, when it's in that cold spell, I think in an Ange Postacoglu side, that's going to make that pendulum of perception swing more extreme just because they're not doing as much. Now, I thought yesterday, actually, he, he was quite involved um, in, in um, some important plays. I, mean, I don't think his volume was all that high as, as usual, but you know, he did drop deep a few, couple of times and he made that really good pass. Um, uh, so, you know... I, he's got that in his locker. 
Um, so he's got the ability to do that and to, to kind of move on the ball. Uh, whereas Jack Amakis is pretty much the same way, but he doesn't offer too much in a productive way when he's on the ball, if he's not shooting. Um, so, and, and Jack Amakis is for the most part, his finishing while at Celtic has been pretty good, particularly early. I mean, it's cooled off a little bit here, uh, this season, but, uh, still at a good level, but I mean, he was at an insane, unsustainable level, uh, in his spell last season. So, um, so I, I just, you know, as, as, uh, I, I fully expect Kyogo to finish more, to take it more of his chances. You know, it's not like he can't do it at the European level. He had a really good group stage last season. Um, finishing wise had some really terrific goals. So, you know, it's just one of those things. And, and I think, you know, perception will warm back up as he starts netting some of these, uh, uh chances that he gets. On the Celtic scorers list. So I was just looking at it here. So Kyogo's top scorer this year with 11 goals. Abada has nine. Jack Mack is eight. Jota seven. James Forrest five. Maida four. And then there's a lot of players on two goals, including Karl Starfelt, which is exceptional. And then a couple of players have one goal. I'm, I'm just looking through the list here, Alan, and Aaron Moy and Bernabe are the only two players that I think are coming to mind as first teamers that don't have a goal this season. Am I correct now? Um, oh, you put me on the spot. <laughs> I'm not sure. Oh. <laughs> I'll have to. I'll have to. There's another. There's somebody in the comments to get that one. Some, some somebody mm. in the comments might be able to let us know, but I, in, in any way, the main that, point, the main, the main point yeah, that I'm trying to make here yeah. is that there, regardless of Kyogo, you know, shooting the lights out or not, there's a lot of goals from a lot of different players in the team, and I think that's where the system over players sort of conversation comes in. Is obviously you need the player to score the goals as well, but if you've got goals spread out throughout the team that's more important than having one key striker who you rely on for all the goals which by the way rangers do in kolak yeah for sure so listen let me, let me just address the uh i agree with that and, and i think it's healthy that we've got so much goal threat across the across the squad for sure in terms of kyogo then so scoring contribution so remember scoring contribution is goals plus assists and expected scoring contribution is expected goals plus ex- Expected assists. Okay, so it's overall attacking productivity. You can think of it that way. Last season, so uh, Kyogo played around about the equivalent of twenty-four full ninety minutes, and over that twenty-four, those twenty-four, uh, you know, full games, if you like, his scoring contribution was one. So pretty much every game he got a goal or an assist. Okay, his ex- expected scoring contribution was 0.99. So bang on. So let's take a let's take a look at what he's doing this season. So this season he's played about half that. He's played the equivalent of about twelve and a bit full ninety minutes. His scoring contribution, 0.98. His expected scoring contribution, 0.97. So that seems pretty consistent to me, um, and indicative of uh, not only um, his personal performance, but again the consistency within the system because. I'm not saying you could put anybody up front and you'll get the same results because we've recruited strikers that are, you know, able to play that play that role that are not stressed about not having the ball a lot of the time. And in fact, I think this season, and I'm not I need to prove this, but I think this season our strikers are touching the ball even less than they did. It's become a more extreme version, a, a pared down role. It's become even more specific. Although Kyogo does wander about a bit, 
Giacomacus actually touches the ball more than Giacomacus. That's really because Giacomacus gets involved in duels at various parts of the opposition, uh, which Kiko tends not to do. He tends to avoid contact, obviously, because he's so small. Um, and, and, his, and his attributes are best um, best seen when he's trying to kind of run away from opponents and get into space. Um, so, listen, that's the numbers, right? He's, he's pretty consistent. He's pretty much bang on uh, one goal or assist every single game. Uh, and that's what, as expected, he's bang on as expected. He's not overperforming. He's bang on that and has been uh, across his, his, his Celtic career so far. So, um, but, but having said that, you know, we've rotated a lot. Um, and whenever anyone's come in, whenever Giacomacus comes in, his his expected scoring contribution uh, is um, 0.9. Is, is actually 1.07, and he's scoring 0.92. So that's pretty pretty good as well. The one that really is a standout is Abada. Abada's numbers are frankly insane. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry. And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. His expected scoring contribution is 1.38 and his scoring contribution is 1.31. Now, I know it's a relatively small sample because he's played the equivalent of just well, just under 10 games this season. But again, think about his age. Think about the fact that his numbers last season were, were pretty hot as well in terms of being over one uh, as well. So Abada is, as we talked about on, on, on Tuesday, uh, and uh, you know I, the way I would characterize Abada is the closer he is to goal, the better decisions he makes. The further is he away is from goal, the, the more sort of uh, lax his decision making seems to be. Uh, but you cannot argue with that; those numbers are just sensational. And then finally on Kolach, uh, Kolach is 
um, is actually relatively, considering the team he's playing in and the dominance they have, his numbers are unremarkable. His expected goals rate is something like 0.78. Okay, and he's massively overperforming that at the moment. So um, I wouldn't be too worried. <laughs> I'm sure he'll score, like, score a hat-trick now in the next derby, but... Um, you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put him on the. He's, he's he's a notch below what we're what we've just talked about. Mm-hmm. I think one thing I'll add real quick end is I think that the you know I've talked about narratives and some of these things that occur, and I think the narrative on Kyogo is largely skewed, especially if you hear what Alan just said about his consistency. I think the kind of the narrative has been built because of what happened in the Champions League, and um, the narrative of us not finishing and taking our chances as a team and that he's his actually, I wouldn't say a huge role in that. I mean, didn't finish. I think his, his cumulative XG was like 1.78, right? So he didn't score. Um, it was like a, it was like 11 shots. I mean, again, we're talking about minuscule samples here against, you know, two of the better clubs in the world. Um, and, and, and keepers that were pretty good, particularly in the case of Real Madrid. And, um, you know, so overall, he's fine, right? It's just that over kind of focus on what happened in the Champions League. Understandable, again, it was all, it was very frustrating for all of us. Um, but he's, you know, basically just moving along as, as you would expect overall. Um, so, yeah. And I, that was the point I was going to make. It's like this season in general, I think, has failed to sort of take off in the manner that it probably would have last season if we didn't have the Champions League in the middle of it and those sort of disappointing results and, you know, almost looking at the players as thinking, are you really that good? Because, you know, you failed in the Champions League. I would have actually loved to see what would have happened with this side in the exact same group if the Champions League was happening on a normal year without the World Cup, if the games were a little bit more spread out and if players didn't have all have the World Cup in the back of their mind and the season wasn't compressed, I would have loved to see if that would have made any difference. Maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't, but um, we'll never know. We'll wait and see until hopefully next year's Champions League and see whether there's any progression on that side of things. And and the rest of the, the game then, I guess, the two things that you talk about is the two goals that Celtic scored, one chalked off from Jota and absolutely lovely finish as well hilarious angle for the the var decision but the second goal from dyson maida was almost a carbon copy the exact same move from celtic a long ball over the top amazing touch by the way from dyson maida uh, to bring himself into the position and then finish was his left foot then it was a right foot first touch left foot finish which was absolutely lovely but i guess that's where celtic are going to get a little bit more uh, joy is when you have players like Maida, and me and Alan spoke about this uh, on Monday, Tuesday, Tuesday, whenever we did the podcast about the players that we have coming off the bench in replace for the players that we have starting the game. So Haksabanovic and Jota started the previous game. Jota started this game. Maida came off the bench and was that little bit different uh, in pace to get in behind the the Motherwell defence to, to score that goal. So I guess this is the variety of players that we have now that we are not bringing on like for like, but we're bringing on players who are able to do different things and able to change the game if required. I think the other part, I agree with everything that you just said. I think that the other aspect is the, um, the inherent challenge that um, overmatched 
domestic opposition have when they do try to press us high or when they are trying to chase a goal, meaning that, you know, Motherwell, um, uh, as they were moving their line higher, you can see when we've got some of these talented players that are able to play those longer balls um, with that kind of pace in behind. And, and we don't see that that much domestically because there aren't that many teams that deploy that kind of um, uh, strategy, particularly that late in the game, um, uh, particularly out, you know, outside of the, let's say the top three or four um, in, in wage bill clubs, you know, the Edinburgh clubs and, and obviously Rangers. So uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's tremendous when it comes off. And I, uh, I, I suspect we won't see it too much out of too many oppos- opponents because of how dangerous we are in that regard. Um, and they are such high quality chances. I mean, when you get in behind like that and you get these kind of de facto one-on-ones with, with opposition keepers, um, you know, they're, they're very high quality. Uh, and we've got the, the players obviously that can finish them at, at a decent rate. Um, so, yep. From a game plan perspective, Alan, this sorry. Um, from a game plan perspective, this is sort of something that you see from different coaches. I'm not sure Anne specifically fits into the model of more long passes, more quick. It's sort of the Ragnick model of you know get the ball forward as quick as possible. And if you want to go even further back, it's uh, Jack Charlton with Ireland get the ball f- forward as quick as possible and pin your opponent in. It really is an old school method, but. I don't think it's something to be scoffed at. I don't think it's, I think a lot of people think long ball means hoofing it up, hoping that it's not going to uh, come straight back at you and hoping someone can get a nick on it and get in on goal. This is precision passing from the likes of Matt O'Reilly and David Turnbull, who played the ball over for Maeda's goal. Like this, when you have players like we have, this is a game plan that we can bring into the game, especially when teams like Motherwell are pushing up high. Yeah, I, I, you know, we have to be careful. I mean, a long ball is just a pass that you know goes over a longer distance. I mean, the question in, in your in your mind should always be: Was that the best decision? That's always the question. Was that the right? Was that the right pass to play in the circumstance? Now, some teams do literally thump the ball up the pitch because um, they don't have the players with the skill or the speed to, to progress it along the ground, which is a much safer way to keep keep possession and keep the ball. Um, and also it's a way of trying to you know, turn the game into more of a lottery and thus reduce some of the variance there is in quality between teams. So that's a perfectly legitimate way to play football. Um, so what I think Postacoglu is trying to do is, is the balancing act between having um, is a very high level of control so by control, I mean possession. So keeping the ball, so not so not not just giving it away, uh, by making um, crazy passes and high risk passes all the time, allied to being very aggressive in your attitude in terms of what you're trying to do with the ball. That that, that means looking for opportunities for 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 quick uh, vertical passes over whatever length is going to get the ball into the danger area, and and, and getting getting people deployed such that. You can then you can then create overloads, especially in wide areas, and flood the box. That's that's the framework. That's that's the that's the idea, um, and obviously, it's a difficult thing to do because you know if on the one hand you're saying right we need to control the ball, and on the other hand you're saying we need to get it forward quickly, 
to take advantage of any um, overloads or spaces that are there, then you're asking your players to make quite a sort of high-end decisions. And what you end up with, in that sense, is you will end up with, with full-backs who are giving the ball away 12, 13 times in a match. You'll give you'll have players like Hatate who who you, you one minute will play a world you know worldly pass and the next will be giving the ball away. That's just the trade-off you're going to get with having that style of play. And the better players will do it. Obviously, it'll do it do it more consistently. Um, but you know, I, th- I think I think we're I think we're you know we, we talked about Maeda there, and I think he's got a role to play because if you look at Celtics, I've just been looking at expected scoring contributions across the team this season. So we mentioned Kyogo and Jakamakis are around about the the one mark. Abada's on one point three. You've then got Jota and Haksabanovic on over point eight. You've then got Turnbull on point seven. O'Reilly would be on point seven if he hadn't dropped back to the sixth position, and then you've got Maeda on point six. So what? What? You've, so you've, you've got an array of attacking players there who are almost getting a goal and assist in every game. Maeda's probably the weakest in that regard, I would say, but he com- he contributes in other in other respects in terms of his pressing, counter pressing ability, the way that he stretches the game. So I think there's there's room. For a Maeda type player in that array of attacking talent that there is at the club currently, is what I'd say. And and you know and and what we're seeing this season, we'll continue to see is, you know, we're bringing in players like Haksabanovic that's still kind of learning, learning the system. I mean, Abada's a young player learning the game. Haksabanovic is learning to play in this in this way. And then we've now got players like O'Reilly, Turnbull, Yota, you know, and the two strikers who. Who are now, you know, a year and a half into the project and and, and completely get it. Um, so, you know, but but what we're seeing is that we can have a game like last night, where to all intents and purposes, we all agreed it wasn't a great spectacle. There wasn't the fluidity and the consistency in Celtic's attacking play, and yet, according to Statsbomb, we're still kind of one point five xG difference between the teams, and it was a comfortable, if a bit of a stodgy win. And we'll take that. And that's that's where we are. And that's a really good place to be. We're not kind of, you know, <laughs> scratching around trying to find a goal sort of thing. That was probably one of the least convincing performances in, in that respect, but it was still comfortable enough against what is often a difficult opponent. I, I said to you on Tuesday, if you look at the data, Motherwell are solidly a mid-table team, fifth or sixth, I would say, based on which where they should, I think, finish. So this is a difficult game. And, you know, just sorry, final last point is you know, we've played 14 games, six at home, eight away. And although we haven't been to Ibrox and we haven't been to Pitodri, you know, we've been to all the sticky grounds that we sometimes uh, sort of struggle in. So I, I would say that's pretty, pretty good start to the season, to be honest. Yeah. If anybody wants to learn a bit more about verticality passing or short passing and the effect it has on the team there's a great Pep Guardiola masterclass on YouTube you can find it he was speaking I think it might have been Monday Night Football or um, one of those shows where he talks about why he prefers short passing and if you're a football nerd then you'll definitely enjoy it because it's absolutely fascinating in getting into the the mind of one of football's greatest weirdos it must be said uh there is no man that alive that i think is probably as obsessive about football as pep guardiola so uh, you can find that on youtube if you want to have a look at that now there are more pressing things for celtic this week it's ross county this weekend at three o'clock on saturday and it's the final game before the world cup break very important game, you would say, in the grand scheme of things, because going into this break, seven points clear, 
is a lot different going into it four points clear with the the derby match in January. So what are we generally thinking about this game? I'm going to take a, a wild guess that there's going to be five plus changes once again. Yeah, what one would think. Um, I'll I'll be curious to see if um, if Ange does any uh, courteous rotation, shall we say? Meaning that um, you know he the seems, World Cup guys. Yeah, he he, he seems well, to he seems to be a, a tuned in man manager, and um, you know, given that we've got the depth, given that we're not facing you know, one of the top teams in the league. Um, would it be crazy if Starfelt and Jens started and CCV gets the game off? I mean, I don't think that's going to be a determinative uh, rotation for the game, that if, kind of thing. If they can start in the Bernabeu, they can start in Celtic Park again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I, I, that's probably the most, uh, you know, abstractly in, uh, curious uh, factor I have going in as far as selection. Outside of that, I mean, you know, Ross County has you know, struggled in limiting chances from opposition. Um, you know, kind of their goal, their non-penalty XG difference is not real swift this season. Uh, you know, we I think we were pretty complimentary of them last season and last couple of seasons, actually, but they've they lost a lot of players. I mean, they had some good recruitment and some pretty good players that uh, uh, subsequently moved on, particularly attacking players. So, um, you know, a, a team like that, it's just tough to continue to hit on all of your recruitment consistently. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, sh- it should be the kind of game that's, um, uh, you know, controllable. <laughs> um, and and uh, we'll see what, what the rotation is this time. Yeah, I mean, they've got the second lowest uh, expected goals average uh, in the league, uh, only St. Johnson who are notoriously stodgy, um, have lower. Uh, so um, they, they, they do struggle to create create good chances. Um, I really liked Starfelt at right centre-back in the Bernabeu. I thought he had a really solid game. And I, I wouldn't be uh, upset about seeing that again. Um, and I think you made a great point about with the World Cup players. I think with Carter Vickers, I think he will take the fact that he's now captain very seriously. And I, and, and I suspect he will, he will uh, want to play. Um, but I, I, if I was his manager, I would rest him as a kind of reward that he's, that he's earned for being such a good soldier. Um, and, and, and Moy as well, there's really no need to kind of um, to play him. And, and even Juranovic, because I mean, Rolston's been, been steady as well, in, in all, all his appearances. What, what's so crazy? I mean, so again, because I am uh, an active follower, so I, I, I know this top of mind. I mean, you, the U.S. plays Wales on Monday, a week from this Monday. So you know, the, the, yeah. yeah, so the turnaround time for these guys is insane. I mean, he's getting, yeah, it's usually see, it's usually it's usually three weeks. They're only getting right. a week off. No, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, so it's I mean, so he, he's going to play Saturday, and then you know, I'm presumably either late Saturday or Sunday get on a plane and go to the Middle East, uh, Qatar, Qatar, however you want to say it. Um, yeah, so it's well, seven hours. Yeah, Ange actually said he was asked about this in the press conference about resting players that are in the World Cup squad or protecting them, and he said, "Well, he has his results to worry about." And I, I, I don't know about that. Like, I, if I, if I was Cameron Carter-Vickers, captain or no captain, I'd be very pissed off if I was playing in this Ross County game needlessly. Uh, when this might be the only chance I get to play at the World Cup. Likewise with Juranovic. Likewise with Moy. This is, the, is his last World Cup, no doubt about it. 
So I, I would be absolutely begging the manager to give me this Ross County game off because we do have, this is why we have substitutes. This is why we have players in the on the bench that are capable of, of making these first team appearances that we don't need to needlessly re, re, risk these players in order to, to keep them on the field in these games. So I would be dropping every player that's playing in the World Cup this weekend. No disrespect to Ross County, but I think there's good enough players in our bench to come into the side. Is there anyone else apart from those three? I can't remember. Well, uh, top, there, uh, top of the head, Maida. Oh, Maida. Forgetting, forgetting Maida, yeah. Maida, yeah. Maida's yeah. in the Japan squad, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, okay. I mean, he would actually benefit, might benefit from the game time. I don't know. I, 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 suspect, yeah. all, I suspect all of those characters would want to play on Saturday, in all yeah. honesty. Well, that's the, I, yeah. that's the flip side of it as well, is that do you actually want to play in these games so that you're fit in order, fit and ready to go match-wise uh, match in order to, to get into your side and maybe even put a friendly reminder to your manager if you're not in the starting lineup that this is what you can do for club level so hmm. look it's it's a it's a weird weird season it's a weird world cup i don't like it and i can't wait until it's over so uh, that's that's where i stand on <laughs> yeah. the world cup i, I mean uh, this, 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 this 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 congestion of fixtures i mean i'm interested in the point you made earlier and about the champions league i mean we we're going to have relatively few players in the world cup compared to the teams that we played in the in the champions league so if anything Thing, that was an advantage for us in that sense. And similarly, condensing all these games uh, that we've played, you know, you know, the likes of Ross County and Motherwell are not used to playing two high-intensity games in a week and have got smaller squads. So it's been a massive advantage for Celtic, on top of the five-substitution rule, to have this schedule, to be honest with you. And although well, you know, we, you we've seen a drop-off in terms of probably a little bit on Saturday and, and more so last night in terms of fluidity um you know we still have got you know an advantage over 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 most of the teams in scotland in that regard mm-hmm. well the reason that i would be interested in it is sort of the flip side of the argument of players not looking to get injured it's more players that were trying to fight for their place in the world cup squad this year because although you know you look at you know modric and chris and all they're guaranteed to be in their squad but there are also players on the fringes like Eduardo Camavinga, for example, who uh, is in the France squad. But players who would have been looking to showcase their ability in, in the Champions League, I think it you know may it may have absolutely made absolutely no difference. But it just would have been interested to see. Um, I might be wrong, but I think Cruz, I think Cruz is retired from Cruz is injured. Oh, oh is he? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's not. I, I think the, he think he has retired now, but I, I'm pretty sure he would have been making himself available for this. This World Cup. Now I could be wrong on that. Somebody can correct me in the comments, and I'm sure they will. If I yeah, they've, got, they've got quite yeah. a. When I saw the squad, I only just glanced through their squad today. It looked quite a young, a young squad. Apart from Tom, Thomas Muller, of course, still kicking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, that's uh, that's that's probably where we'll leave it for this week's podcast. We'll uh, have a, a podcast next week looking back at the Ross County game. And there's loads of comments as well asking about Abada as a striker and who we should be looking for in the January transfer window and overarching themes that we will touch on when we don't have a game to look back on. So over the next couple of weeks, we'll have plenty of time to look at that. Uh, don't think we'll concentrate too much on the performances down in Australia because, I mean, it's a friendly match at the end of the day. So uh, we'll try to do more in-depth analysis on individual players, individual systems and and transfers and things like that. So if you do want us to cover anything in particular, either leave them in the comments below or send us a tweet at HuddleBreakdown is our handle on Twitter. And we'll uh, we'll try get as many things as we can covered over the next couple of weeks when we have a bit of time. So, but that's where we'll leave this week's podcast. Alan James, thanks very much. 
Thanks, thanks guys. And thanks to you for listening and for watching. If you want to watch this back, you can get it on YouTube at Hollow Breakdown is our YouTube channel. You can subscribe there and get notified every time a video goes live or you can get the podcast on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcast as well. So we'll be back again next week. But until then, enjoy the Ross County game this weekend and we'll chat to you later. Good luck. Time to play the game. Time to play the game! <laughs> it's all about the game, and how you play it! All about control, and if you can take it! All about your death, and if you can play it! It's all about pain, and who's gonna make it? I am the game, you don't wanna play me I am control, no way you can shake me I am heavy debt, no way you can pay me I am the pain, and I know you can't take me Look over your shoulder, ready to run Like a Cleveland bitch from a smoking gun I am the game, and I may lose So move on out, you can die like a fool Try to figure out what my mood's gonna be Come on over, sucker, why don't you ask me? Don't you forget there's a price you can pay Cause I am the game and I want to play
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 